You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to GI Insights, where we cover the latest clinical issues, trends, and technologies in gastroenterological practice. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. Your host for GI Insights is Professor of Medicine and Director of the Digestive Disease Center at the Medical University of South Carolina, Dr. Mark DeLegge. There are numerous ways to treat gastroesophageal reflux disease, commonly known as GERD, but which ones are the best? New GERD guidelines developed by the AGA establish the most effective management strategies for the condition. Joining us to discuss the new GERD guidelines is co-author of the guidelines, Dr. Michael Vasey, professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, as well as Director of Clinical Affairs for the Division. Welcome, Dr. Vasey. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Michael, first I want to know, these guidelines sound very, very interesting, and I know that we're almost inundated by it with guidelines. So I have to ask you, how were these developed? Was it opinions or exactly what went into these? Right. That's an important question. We were put to task by the AGA to come up with a position statement that was evidence-based. And that was an important factor that it was not just opinion, although when there is no evidence, i.e. there are no randomized controlled trials in an area, then it would be based on practices and expert opinion. But majority of what we were tasked to do was based on what is the evidence currently that's published? Are there randomized controlled studies? And what are the certainties and what are the uncertainties in the field? Now, were these guidelines, did you have a ranking system that you came up with to try to figure out what was a good study and what wasn't? Right. So we were basically used the gradation that we were asked to do grades A through D, and this was the USPSTF recommendation and grades, the strength of recommendations and the quality of evidence. For example, grade A recommendation was if there was strong evidence and we strongly recommended that clinicians provide this to eligible patients and then going down the line, grade D was recommending against providing such therapy or that recommendation to asymptomatic patients. And then the quality of evidence was judged based on good or poor, good being evidence that included consistent results from well-designed studies to poor being evidence that was insufficient to assess the effect of the and the outcome for the patients. Well, we'll jump right in here. I'll have to start off with lifestyle modification because that's what we usually talk about first. Things such as raising the head of your bed or perhaps changing your diet or some of your social activities. So I have to ask, what role do lifestyle modifications play for GERD patients in the guidelines? That's an important question that we were asked and we searched for evidence in the literature. Many of us, we see patients recommend elevating the head of the bed, not eating chocolate, not eating soda, reducing the fat intake. When we looked at the evidence based on published results, there were predominantly old and case series and not really a lot of evidence that was in controlled fashion showing there is benefit. Nonetheless, we do know that there are certain dietary factors that play a role in patients with reflux disease. So the recommendations that were made 
based on the review of the literature, was a grade B recommendation, which suggests that there's fair evidence that it does improve symptom. And the predominant evidence was on weight loss as opposed to other factors that are currently recommended because it is increasingly recognized that obesity may be playing a factor and weight loss may play an important role in reducing the symptoms of reflux disease. Where it came to the elevation of head and bed and other factors, there is evidence based on, again, case series that it does help patients, but we all agreed based on reviewing literature that it is probably best to leave that to the individual physicians to tailor that to patients, i.e., if a patient has symptoms with certain dietary factors, then eliminating that dietary factor becomes important because there is really no controlled study suggesting that one or combination of those factors are important. You know, that's interesting. Uh, On lifestyle, as a gastroenterologist, we see patients in our offices all the time, and frankly, many of them are getting larger and larger. So I'm hearing from you that we should start paying attention to perhaps a patient's body mass index or their weight. Yeah, and that's a sensitive subject. I think most of us, when we see patients, we ask patients, what has changed in you that resulted in either worsening symptoms, increasing symptom, and oftentimes it is, you know, I just gained 10 pounds, or, you know, it isn't that I started eating chocolate. It isn't that I started drinking a beer. It's predominantly about the body mass index. So you're absolutely right. Although sensitive, we do need to address it and we do need to put the patient in certain regimen, and that's where we haven't done well. We tend to prescribe medications without necessarily looking at the overall picture, and the recommendation, at least, that I would make is to really pay special attention to that. Well, the mainstay of what I do as a gastroenterologist, and I'm sure yourself with reflux disease, is prescribe acid suppression therapies such as H2 blockers or proton pump inhibitors. What did the guidelines have to say about that? There is strong evidence. The guidelines, based on the review of literature, they're well-controlled, well-designed studies that suggest that acid suppression, H2 receptor antagonist, as well as proton pump inhibitors, do help with patients with reflux disease. And that we know, and that is our current practice. So the recommendation is grade A. We strongly recommended, at least the evidence strongly recommends the use of acid suppression. And there is also strong evidence that proton pump inhibitors have better capacity to suppress acid than H2 receptor antagonists. And this was based on meta-analyses that have been published in the field. So we know that PPIs are the mainstay of treatment for this condition. And the question that came up is, you know, we used to do step up and then it became step down therapy. Although we didn't specifically address that, it is recommended that we do step down therapy, i.e. we strong with our proton pump inhibitors and then end up with the least amount of acid suppression that keeps the patient's symptoms at bay. Speaking of that, when you were looking at that therapy just on another pharmacologic agent, What about what we talk about as far as promotility agents? Did that come into the picture? Yeah, that was a grade D as in recommend against, and there's fair evidence that is ineffective was the conclusion. You know, we do that in practice. I get that question all the time. What about adding metoclopramide, for example? There is no evidence necessarily that for reflux disease it will be beneficial 
but there's evidence for gastroparesis. So, you know, we stayed out of that. If reflux is secondary to gastroparesis, the recommendation is obviously to treat both reflux, but really to pay attention to the primary source, i.e. the reason for the gastroparesis and how to treat that. But for reflux alone, there is no evidence that a promotility agent such as metoclopramide would be beneficial. Michael, I've heard a lot of people, too, talk about using proton pump inhibitors during the day and H2 blockers at night. Is there any evidence to support that? There is not strong evidence to support this. The use of H2 receptor antagonists, in addition to the use of twice-daily PPI, for example, for the nocturnal acid breakthrough, we did not feel that there was strong evidence to suggest adding H2 receptor antagonists to such a regimen. Now, there is evidence, and we call that grade B, that is, there's fair evidence that if someone does not respond or only partially responds to once-daily therapy to increase the dose to twice-daily therapy. I think most physicians are doing that, but adding H2 receptor antagonists to maximum, i.e. BID dosing of PPI, there is, we felt that there was not much evidence to support it. My other question is that with regards to just over-the-counter agents that patients come in on, was there any evidence that any of these over-the-counter agents were effective, such as Maalox or Myelanto or some other oral antacid? Yeah, we didn't actually get into the antacid because right now the trend in treatment is changing somewhat. As we all see, patients often come in, have already tried antacid. They're short courses that will suppress the acid in a short way or coat the stomach or the esophagus to help the patient with symptom. But as far as long-term relief or healing esophagitis, the recommendation is obviously the use of PPIs initially. Most patients will have tried those and the ones that come seek attention, primary care or gastroenterologist, are those that require higher dose of acid suppression than antacids. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark DeLegge, and joining me to discuss the new GERD guidelines is Dr. Michael Vasey, professor of medicine at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, as well as Director of Clinical Affairs for the division. So, Michael, moving on to more testing-type issues, when should we actually start to test people, meaning do you treat people right up front? Do you go ahead and do testing, then treat? What do the guidelines have to say about that? The guidelines now, at least what we recommend, is based on the evidence that empiric treatment should still be the first line unless there are warning symptoms in patients. And again, we felt that using alarm symptoms alone, there was some insufficient evidence for that. But overall, a guideline for physicians practicing to use proton pump inhibitors initially, and then when patients are either partially or not at all responsive to acid suppression. At that point, diagnostic testing with endoscopy or pH monitoring or manometry, if appropriate, would be the second step in our algorithm for patients with reflux disease. I'd like to thank my guest from Vanderbilt University Medical Center, Dr. Michael Vasey. Dr. Vasey, thank you very much for being our guest this week on GI Insights. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have been listening to GI Insights on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. GI Insights is brought to you by AGA Institute and sponsored by Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America. 
For additional information on this program and on-demand podcasts, visit us at ReachMD.com and use promo code AGA. Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is proud to sponsor this important and quality programming for ReachMD listeners. Takeda does not control the editorial content of this broadcast. The views expressed are solely those of the guests who are selected by the AGA Institute. Based in Deerfield, Illinois, Takeda Pharmaceuticals North America is a wholly owned subsidiary of Takeda Pharmaceutical Company Limited, the largest pharmaceutical company in Japan. In the United States, Takeda markets products for diabetes, insomnia, wakefulness, and gastroenterology, and is developing products in the areas of diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and other conditions. Takeda is committed to striving toward better health for individuals and progress in medicine by developing superior pharmaceutical products. To learn more about the company and its products, visit www.tpna.com.